Hello and welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode 235. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Prilliman. I'm joined this evening, afternoon, morning drive to work by Brogan King. Hey, y'all. And we have a very special episode uh, for you tonight, today, this afternoon, same, same spiel. Um, we're going to be talking about scorekeeper tick tricks and tips, tips and tricks, um, which is better than ticks and trips. And, it's, it, and by that, it's not just, it's not, here's how to be a better scorekeeper. It's like, what is, what is being a scorekeeper look like? And how can that help you as a judge? Right. And uh, when we go to uh, uh, magic fests and stuff like that, generally, we're not on the stage doing scorekeeping. So uh, we don't have a whole lot of experience to talk about this as to as to how to how to do things and what kind of things you do. So we brought on a very special guest for this very special episode. Please welcome Mr. Matt Noonan. Oh, hi. How goes it? Oh, hi. <laughs> what if he was a doctor and you just didn't know? Oh, doctor. Well, then he'd be Dr. Matthew Noonan. Ugh. Oh, oh Matthew's not <laughs> a real name. I'm never going to be a doctor. I refuse. Ma- Matthew Noonan, Esquire. Oh, no. Please, <laughs> no. The, the Except your un- undoctoritude. Anything else? Yes. All right. Who are you, Matt? Tell us why you are qualified to talk to us about this. Well, I am a level two judge from Spring Hill, Florida. I uh, I do actually judge events still, contrary to popular belief, but I am on a regular basis a scorekeeping lead at many Magic Fests in the United States nowadays, and occasionally Canada. Awesome. A scorekeeping lead. Yeah. So, um, so how'd you how'd you break into that gig? Well, I uh, I started doing a lot of local PTQs back in uh, the the OG PTQ days, <laughs> and because <laughs> now we have two different PTQ days. And uh, I would score keep some of those, and I was doing pretty well. And eventually, I moved on to doing um, Star City Games events, uh, some GPs, and events with like pastimes and TGA collectibles back when all those TOs were doing GPs and whatnot. And I was doing a lot of side event scorekeeping. And when CFB took over to do all of the GPs, uh, eventually Magic Fests, I uh, immediately put in applications to work events and got onto those. And I I guess they just like what I was doing, and I uh, they asked me if I wanted to be a scorekeeping lead and lead some scorekeepers, and now that's usually my role. And if I'm not a if I'm if that is not my role, then my role is a backup scorekeeping lead. So I'm either a leader or the back, or the second lead. So I I seem to recall when you were trying to break into scorekeeping that it actually took you a while, like to. Oh yeah, for sure. Okay, so because um, there are, there are people that are interested, like how do I get into scorekeeping? So. You know, do you have any advice or suggestions or anything like that for for those people? Um, so I will say I had the I did have the the blessing of being uh, a tad aggressive about it. Um, <laughs> Good aggressive, <laughs> not punch your way through the walls aggressive. Yeah, more like the hey, I'd really like to do this, and here's why I'm better than other people kind of way. And Florida kind of a uh, kind of kind of did that. Um, living in Florida and doing events. As a uh, as a Florida judge, kind of you know shapes how you feel about yourself as a judge, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and it, it kind of boosts your confidence and you know makes you want to just talk about why you were better, so that you can kind of sell that to t- other TOs. Um, and then when I was working events, uh, I would do a lot of uh, local PTQs and like 
IQs and even TCG events with uh, this TO named Jeff Williams back in the day. And it all started with things as small as like entering in just, you know, just entering a few match lips here and there. Um, you know, the, I was, even if I wasn't the scorekeeper, you know, whoever it was, whether it was like Pet McDole or Turner, or uh, I think Eric Mock was my, my most common scorekeeper when I was a judge. Sometimes I would ask if like, I could like shadow them. I would, try and you know get some experience i would ask if i could put in some match results and you know doing competitive level events on a high level basis gives you a ton of experience along with doing local events at your local store like fnms and pre-releases and all that this seems Uh a a lot like a like very much like a parallel to to learning how to judge is you you start small and you learn you build your both your skill set and sort of your brand and go from there oh yeah for sure um it's it's you know just like with anything in the program you can't just like immediately start at the top you have to work your way towards it and it's not just like a get rich quick kind of scene it's like uh you know you have to work and grind your way towards it and you know it's hard work and And but it's not it's not multi-level marketing oh i hope not (laughs) i'm I'm gonna also say that and we'll get into a little bit because i realized we didn't really discuss what a, a scorekeeper does but the the role of a scorekeeper is in a lot of ways, kind of like a single point of failure in in the sense that everything, all the information from the tournament is coming through the scorekeeper. And there's a lot of trust that the TO has to have in that in the scorekeeper's abilities. Mm-hmm. So as a result, you, you really have to do the baby steps. When you start off judging, you can start with, you know, start as a floor judge and progress and then you progress up to a team lead and stuff like that they're not going to drop you in in head judge right over you know a 150 person event right away right uh, because you need that support structure because if if you know if you're like yeah i know how to use word and they're like great you're a you're a magic fest main event scorekeeper now you, <laughs> you're gonna yeah probably, seems legit you're probably gonna crater the event and cost it a couple hours oh yeah for sure and and subsequently some number of dollars in the TOs. Right. right. So let's let's talk just a little bit about what a scorekeeper does, just like at the at the local level and then at the the Magic Fest level. So sure. what what does let's let's say the, the, the LGS level scorekeeper, what what sort of things do they do? So typically like an LGS level scorekeeper in my experience uh, is probably also the judge of the event. Um, the judge of the event probably has somewhat of a basic knowledge of where or, um, and, and if they're not the judge of the event, they're actually also a store employee because nowadays store employees you know, want to know how to use where, uh, which was a different reporter um, and want to make sure they know how to run tournaments from a logistical side of it so that they can also take care of their store while running the tournament. Um, and typically what a scorekeeper's main duties are for an event are entering people into an event, um, running the event and processing match results, and then uploading the event to whoever the the proper person is, whether it be you know, Wizards of the Coast, if you're, it's a, you're a magic scorekeeper, or other companies for other games. So enter, entering in the events, generating the next round, printing out whatever materials are needed, posting them if necessary, or handing them off to someone else if they're the ones responsible for it. Yeah, I guess I paraphrase with running the event. That could mean so many things. <laughs> right. And and also be being able to fix things that go wrong, I think is the biggest thing in my 
mind that makes a scorekeeper a scorekeeper rather right. than just anybody like a cat with a keyboard. <laughs> yeah. So like at, at, at the base, at the base level, a scorekeeper, at least like a dedicated scorekeeper is just someone who does just data entry and knows how to handle the issues of a software that they got, they, they originally got thrown into the mix of. But um, at a local level, they're going to do so much more. And knowing how to do that basic uh, level thing, things that you do at a store, uh, are, are, is pretty crucial to high-level scorekeeping as well. Okay. Well, let's let's transition. When you when you say high-level scorekeeping, where where is the line for you between where you tra- transition from, you know, into the big leagues? Is it is it the event type? Is it the size of the event? You know. When it- um. Well, so the big leagues for me, um, in my opinion, is when you transition from Whir to Walter. Um, if you're trusted enough to use Walter, uh, then you're then then you've hit the hit a level where you're probably a little more trustworthy because Walter is even more insane as as far as software goes. But in, in temperamental. Who is yeah, Walter, exactly. y'all? Yeah, Walter is a uh, it, it's another software that Wizards does not publicly put out. Uh, called Wizards Large Tournament Reporter. If you if you have it, then you're trusted to use it. Typically, well, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So at a at a large large event like a like a Magic Fest, what mm-hmm. how does the scorekeeper responsibilities you know overall? Because we'll get into details a little bit you know with examples and stuff. But overall, mm-hmm. how does a scorekeeper's duties differ uh, at, so, the, at the Magic Fest? So at, a, at the local level, a scorekeeper is probably just going to be caring about one event and that that is the main event of the day whether it be like an mcq a qualifier or even fnm for that matter or like a pre-release you may have to do like a draft here and there or like a another side small event but for the most part you're not going to have more than like two to three events at a time uh, at a at, at the magic fest level the scorekeeper is likely going to be responsible for anywhere from like 15 to 20 events over the course of an entire weekend um, some of those events may have multiple days attached to them, depending on what event you're doing. Some of those events uh, may be, you know, just short three-hour events. Some may be like six to nine-hour events, and you can't really know that unless you uh, uh, un- until the weekend starts, because then whoever your lead is uh, is going to let you know what events you need. To, you're going to be scorekeeping if if you don't already know. So it's mostly just like the the differences in the workload. Okay, so you've done scorekeeping now for a while um, i would think so yeah um what do you do like we've talked about in the past like if you're team leading things you do before the event or if you're getting ready to do an mcq and you're going to be a head judge things to do mm-hmm. what might be some things you do to uh prep for an event that you're scorekeeping for um so uh would you say like at like a local level or at like a higher level uh pick your poison dealer's choice okay it's, I guess, I guess, whatever <laughs> you think is going to be most relevant and interesting. Okay. I guess it's not too much different. Um, so for me as a scorekeeper, uh, before an event, wh- one thing that I like to do is um, go in to Whir and make sure that my Whir is all updated, make sure it's all set up, you know, make sure that Wizard Event Reporter ha- you know, has an update that like lets you still use it because that's a common thing. Um, sometimes when a war update happens, it's a lot harder to use. Uh, that's happened many uh, over the course of many pre-releases, and you'll do an update, and all of a sudden, war can't work unless you work in offline mode because you know your internet's crashing all the time. Um, 
I'll also do this thing where I will go and clear my database out. Um, that's this is not really something that's too common, um, and I didn't really learn about it much until I got to the higher level with, within Magic Fests. And what do you mean, clear out your database? So in your your uh, within the files of your of your computer, there's you can navigate your way through to, uh, to something called App Data, and that eventually leads you to Wizard, the, your Wizard Event Reporter file. Um, and within there, there's a file called Tournament Data. Uh, you, if you just delete that, and then while War's closed, and then reopen War, it gives you kind of a clean database. You don't have any local players. You don't have any. Um, you don't, you don't have any like. Your former tournament data file doesn't have any like active events kind of going. It just has your events that are getting ready to be uh, ran. It doesn't have anything like that you created on your last tournament data file. It's just the stuff that's already pre-sanctioned on the account. Um, so it kind of gives you a clean database, and it makes it so that you don't have a ton of local players kind of clogging up, uh, where, which does happen, especially if you enter people in through the local players tab, which is pretty common for local events. But having a clean database is it's also good for tracking purposes and trying to see how many to- how many unique players you've had over a weekend and things so, like that. So, so you're starting from zero rather than starting with a bunch of people already in there? Exactly, yeah. That, the, so that, that's one of the biggest things I do, even at the local level nowadays. I'll try to just start with a clean database. Um, it's pretty helpful for making sure that we're running as smoothly as possible. And I imagine making sure we're is running as smoothly as possible is... Uh, is do you feel... We hadn't really talked about this. Do you feel like War is actually as bad as everyone talks about it being? Uh, no, actually. Um, there are it has its quirks, but for the most part, I think War is actually a pretty great program. It's good, good at what it, it it's good at what it's you know made for. It's not good at doing things it's not supposed to do. Hmm. So it, it functions as it's supposed to, in my opinion. I think I think also when they push out updates, they they've had several very public uh, oopsies. The the timing has just been bad a lot. Right. Yeah, I, the, I think it's a lot of wrong place, wrong time. Right. And they'll and they'll push out an update, and then suddenly the whole world can't run F and M. Yeah, and so, that's obviously right. bad. Right. And so it's one of these things where it's the quantity. It's not the actual number of errors. It's just the 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 spike in the fact that everyone's having the exact same problem, and everyone's talking about, it and everyone's commiserating. Right. But in my opinion, we're is good at doing what it's supposed to do. So. Well, you will get some errors sometimes where it's like index something like index zero, and you can't go any further. Can't. Oh yeah, I know. I, I know all about those errors. <laughs> I imagine that's them. something you're familiar with. <laughs> yeah, there, there's uh, the, like the ways you can bring these errors up is kind of obnoxious too, but that's you know, that's for later. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's what I kind of do before an event, uh, trying to just make sure I'm ready for the actual day, um, and then when I actually show up on the day. The biggest thing is kind of setting up, knowing where I'm going to be sitting um, or standing if you're at a if you're at a local store. Uh, what computer I'm using, whether it's my own or if it's a TO's. Uh, I try to make sure that my printer is completely set up. Um, printer issues tend to be the number one scorekeeper issue most of the time, um, and that's not really a word problem. That's more just people just don't know how to handle printers properly. And I imagine this is the sort of thing that ends up getting forgotten or not really acknowledged by people who don't have a lot of practice with this oh yeah for sure like uh n- not knowing how to finagle your printer inside out isn't really in my opinion shouldn't really be common knowledge but like if you want to be a scorekeeper it's it should probably be knowledge that you learn seems you mean there's more to it than just take the toner cartridge out and shake it and put it back oh yeah for sure <laughs> okay i mean like half the time like unplugging it plugging it back in turning it off turning it back on again actually does work half the time 
Um, shaking toner cartridges works a lot of the time, but when you have a paper jam, that's a whole different story. And then you have to know how to take apart a printer. So then I'll then I'll like to figure out what events I'm scorekeeping, uh, whether it's just one main event or whether it's like uh, one main event and like a few side events that are going to happen later in the day, or if it's just like a schedule of events and who's doing what. Um, one of my roles as a lead is to assign scorekeepers to specific events and make sure they properly get breaks. Um, so that's something I like to do early in the morning or the night before, uh, depending on the event. Um, and then I also talk with whoever the head judge of the event is, if it's a local event, and try and figure out what they need from me as far as getting the day going. Or I'll talk to, like at Magic Fest, we have this thing called a Kickstart team, which is pretty awesome, um, where like you just have a team of people devoted, like, devoted to launching events and doing no actual judging. Um, and, and are those the people that are primarily going to be your points of contact? Like, as a scorekeeper, are those the judges you're going to be talking to the most on that day? Yeah, for any specific event, uh, a scorekeeper is probably going to talk to the Kickstarter team more than they're going to talk to the actual head judge of an event. Um, mostly because the Kickstarter team handles like getting the initial information to a scorekeeper, such as a starting table number, or how many uh, they need to know how many players in the ev- are in an event, and the scorekeeper has that has the most accurate information as far as that goes. Um, and they need that information so they can get product ready, whether it be like booster packs or promos or what have you. Now this um, this perspective is from the the public events the 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 side events. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, is is the setup any different for the main? Oh yeah. Um, so on the, on the main event, um, a scorekeeper is typically going to show up um, at you know pro- probably the the brightest part of their day, nice and early in the morning, where they don't want to wake up, but they are, they're excited for an event. Uh, <laughs> but here they show- are. They're going to show up probably the same time as the as like the, the convention center staff is. Um, they're going to be doing a lot of printing early in the morning for the teams that want to set up the, their their letter ranges on pairings boards. They're going to be doing a lot of uh, interaction with players that are wondering why they're not on uh, why why players aren't on like initial lists that were posted so as far as setup goes their setup is kind of just doing all this a lot earlier so they can be ready to you know be in a customer service mode and take care of people um also making sure that they're the scorekeeper that they're working with because likely if you're doing a main event you're probably gonna have a second scorekeeper working the same event with you so making sure that they're properly set up is a big thing um or if you're a support scorekeeper making sure that you're you're there to assist the other scorekeeper for that main event do you end up kind of having to adjust your flow if the person you're working with is like, do people adjust their work based on somebody else's like techniques? Like if I do something one way or I have a preference on how to do things, you just end up having to kind of adjust to get used to the people you're working with. Um, so at least like with when it comes to doing main events, typically a main event scorekeeper, uh, is going to have a set list of tasks that they need to get done throughout the day, and they're also going to give that second support scorekeeper a set list of tasks to get done at you know all day long or and within each round. Um, as far as like adjusting to someone's workflow, the only workflow that can really, uh, I guess, like be uh, like you can kind of pick up someone's slack for is their you know their ability to enter and match result slips. Um, and on average, if you're if if you've been trusted to at least do a main event. As a scorekeeper, then you're you probably have pretty decent you know, entry speed. Um, that that so speed them, is likely not going to be a concern. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, so it, in my opinion, typically, you know, most all, all of the main events, scorekeepers around the world, they, they all work pretty well together. You know, like, you know, barring you know personal issues, obviously. But you know, as far as an actual workflow, that I, I would argue that they all work, you know, in conjunction with with, in, with each other without too much friction there. And and you know, you're, you're talking about entry entry speed and stuff like that. You know, people say like, what's what's an acceptable error rate? Um, like, well, I mean, I'm just going to throw some stuff out. Like if someone says like, oh, well, you know, at my job, you know, doing whatever, uh, a 99% success rate's really good. And you mm-hmm. go, okay, well, now let's look at, you know, a, a Magic Fest with 2,000 players. So 100, or sorry, 1,000 tables. Yeah. Uh, that, a 99% success rate is 10 errors around. Yeah, that's, that's bad. <laughs> right. Yeah, that that seems... Yeah, by comparison, that that is that is not a sustainable error rate in this particular circumstance. Oh yeah, um, I I, I would pr- probably argue that you want no more than like one or two match lips as a as an error, um, and if there were errors that were on you, then the typically there's a good reason for it. But for the most part, most of the scorekeepers that are doing main events typically don't have errors anymore, um, and if they do, then it was just due to something crazy as like their finger slipped or um, they, they put in a wrong result. But uh, most of the time when you catch it, it's because there's a player that was accidentally dropped and that's that, that can tend to be a big issue. So I just, I just want to like for, for the, for the listeners to think about just the number of entries that they have to get in, in a timely manner, because more than half of the, of the match slips come in in like the last 10 minutes. Yeah. And so there's a there's a lot of fast turnaround time that has to be very very accurate, or it causes a significant amount of problems downstream. Right, you have to be both both fast and accurate, and that is finding that balance is a challenge. Yeah, and like every single match slip, you're gonna have anywhere from like four to like seven keystrokes, depending on what's on the match slip, and like. Doing that thousands of times a day is it's it's not easy. I know it just seems like pushing buttons, but for a lot of people they uh it's having to do that on a constant basis is definitely daunting and making errors does happen and we understand people are human, but there is a level of accuracy that does need to exist within main event scorekeeping. And there there are ways that we've mediated that nowadays, which is nice because while you know, for like Walter for example has multiple different methods for entering in match results and some of them are faster and others are more accurate and some people are faster at the accurate method and some people are more accurate with the faster method. So like finding the balance is really just personal preference when you get down to it. Um, but there are preferred methods as well. As, as a scorekeeper, how often do you check to see uh, how much paper is left in your printer? On a, uh, on a, on a main event, uh, zero times a day. Oh, because it's all the... the uh, it's like far away from it. Yeah, it's the paper you shouldn't be like, anywhere near yeah. that printer. Yeah, if I'm next to the printer, it's because I'm printing something after a round has started, and I'm just printing something for myself. Um, <laughs> and if there's an issue with that printer, then uh, typically we're just going to call on the TO and be like, "Hey, we need another printer. Something's going wrong. The, let's fix. The, let's fix this in between." On sides. Rounds. Um, on sides, I probably check it mm, before an event starts. Typically, um, then again, like printers can hold. Uh, a lot of paper, so you don't typically need to. Um, I usually check it before an event starts, at least, just to make sure that I'm still good. And typically, like one ream of paper is enough to last you for the majority of the d- of the day. 
depending on the attendance of the event as well. Oh, you, know, there... what I'm, you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking of like uh, at the SCG events where they change the, the color of the paper uh, within the yeah. printer. Yeah, yeah. So like the way the way that we uh, the model that we've been doing for CF, like the Magic Fest is that we, we assign scorekeepers one color paper for that day and then that's all they use. So they just load up a printer with all of that color paper and that's all they have to worry about. So they t- probably don't check it as often. So what what used to what used to be the case is uh, if I had three events, one of those events might be on yellow paper, one of them might be on pink, and one of them might be on blue. Oh so, yeah, I remember those days too. Those, yeah. That that, that was what it was like. Constantly having to swap it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you if you don't remember what colors in the printer, it's wrong. Yep, and that's what it was like when you doing like events with like pastimes and TJ collectibles and uh, SCG and you know. Okay, so. Probably most of most of the judges that have judged uh, store level events are familiar in some form or fashion with were, mm-hmm. but Walter is kind of a a foreign beast to them. Can right. you talk to us a little bit about what the differences are between those two tools? Like why have why have one? Why if where's what can Walter do that were can't? You know why why a separate <laughs> piece of software? So the biggest thing that Walter can do over were is it can actually handle. Pretty large events. Um, that's like the it's, it's in the name Wizards Large Tournament Reporter, um, and like where, for example, shouldn't probably be running events with 400 plus players. Um, it can, you just probably shouldn't. Um, <laughs> it, it won't do it efficiently. Whereas Walter can handle thousands of players efficiently um, with no problem. Um, it also has a few features that we've all wanted in WERE for a long time, such as fixed seating. Um, that's a big one for any time you, you have a player that needs succeeding. Walter can just assign a player to a table, and that player is going to you know, be at that table all day long without fail, assuming assuming Walter doesn't explode or people don't compare anyways. Assuming everything is functioning as it is supposed to? Yeah, exactly. Like, when whenever things are working, things, you know, Walter is fantastic. You know, there's there's obviously stories of past events where things exploded, and that's due to issues um, from... Scorekeepers either not following instructions based on how software works, or uh, us learning about a new bug that didn't exist at the time. That you know, that's typically the most common reason for a big error is just learning about a bug that didn't exist. So, um, Walter can also enter in match results a lot more accurately than Wer can. Um, so, Wer, for example, has these things called hotkeys, and they're most commonly used at you know large-scale events, but a lot of people use them for even small events like FNMs. Like, I know I used to run FNMs for an old store, and I would just, even if it was like five tables, I'd still use hotkeys just because it was just natural to me. Um, That's just what you were used to? Yeah, and so the, the hotkeys are nice. When, when you say a hotkey for the for the listeners at home, that means what? Uh, so, like, a, a, a specific result on a match slip, and the order of that result on the match slip is tied to a specific number. So, uh, for Wizards Event Reporter, you could type in a table number, uh, in in one of the uh, entry windows, press enter and then press a number, and that number would be associated with a result. So if my match result said two o, uh, two being the first player and zero being the second player, then I could type in the table number for that uh, match slip, press enter, and then pr- and then press the number one because the number one is associated with two o. And you could do that for many for the majority of your results because most of your results are either going to be two O's, two ones, one twos, or O twos. Um, and there are hotkeys for other results as well, but having those hotkeys for uh, results and for even for drops makes uh, the world of difference in how fast you go, as opposed to clicking a result every single time you find the 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 table on your list of 
matches, which could be hundreds depending on the size of the event. Is there is there anything else that uh, uh, Walter can do better than work? Yeah, so uh, one thing Walter does is uh, has this function called manual entry result, which is uh, what I was talking about earlier. It's the preferred method for doing Grand Prix nowadays. Um, and what what that means is that instead of pressing a key that results to that that you know equals a result, you're actually typing the result itself, um, which is a lot more accurate and it forces you to actually you know type the result and it tends to improve accuracy. Um, and it's not much of a change in speed. So like as an example, it's, if it's a couple of keystrokes rather than a single one. Exactly. So instead of typing the number two, which is associated as a two one, I would instead type two and one, you know, two for the first player and one for the second player. Um, and it, it tends to be, you know, significantly more accurate, uh, on average, obviously there are scorekeepers that can be more accurate with hotkeys and there are scorekeepers that can be more, you know, much more fast, more faster, much more fast. Yeah. Uh, much more, f- yeah, yeah. We'll go with more faster, just because we're all fastest. English majors. Most fasterest. Most fasterest. Um, yeah, uh, there are scorekeepers that can be more fast with uh, manual method than they are with hockey method. Um, hockeys are generally faster, but they're not as accurate because it's a lot easier to slip up on a match slip than it is with manual method. Um, so with Grand Prix, we typically prefer manual because you don't really lose too much in speed, but you gain a significant amount in accuracy. And I think ultimately the speed you're losing out on is is outweighed by the accuracy because you'd lose time by having to go back and fix things. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I definitely see the, the value of hotkeys as well. Um, Walter can also do things like print uh, your pairings on specific letter ranges. Um, so all of your players that are between the letters A through F would be on one set of pairings, but... Um, and then your next letter range would be like G to K or something. And it can, it can print all of your pairings specifically on those letter ranges, which makes printing massive size events a lot easier because you can just have specific pairing boards for specific names and have those letter ranges on giant letters for players to see from across the room. <laughs> um, it can also print out your outstanding tables. Uh, like, so at end of round, if you need to know how many tables are out, you can just print it out and make it easy for clipboarding. Uh, typically, we use Purple Fox nowadays, which is a fun little online software for outstanding tables. Um, yeah, it, it can it can just do all sorts of printing that Word definitely can't do. Just a lot, a lot more capability as far as output. Yep. Cool. We're, Walter's pretty great for that. Uh, you can registering players can also be a lot faster um, because you can just do a massive import of players and judges all at once using Excel. Um, Rather than yeah. having to put in each individual one. Yeah, so Work can also do a massive import of players, but it's not nearly as efficient as Walter is. Um, with Word to do a proper import, you have to do two imports, which involves importing in the players into your local player database, and then actually importing them into the event itself. Uh, most of the time, the easier way to do that in Word is to just clear out all of your local players, import all of your actual registered players into your local, and then just enroll them, like mass enroll all at once, instead of like having to do a second import. But with Walter, you can just do one import and you're done. Awesome. Well, you pro- well, just just for the, the <laughs> well. people at home, I, I want to say like if you delete, you're you're recommending delete the local players because you have your own laptop with Word installed on it. Yeah, don't, I wouldn't. I would never recommend that at a local store that you're okay. not. That's not your computer. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, and also that import, uh, it's typically not really feasible unless you have a way to 
are if you're if you have a system that already has all your players in Excel somehow. So like for example, uh, we we a local store around here, cool stuff. They have a uh, they have an online registration system that has the ability to export all of their players into a CSV, uh, a comma separated values uh, uh, spreadsheet. Um, and a CSV is the exact kind of import you would need for Walter. Um, so uh, being able to import uh, export directly onto a CSV and then import that directly into Walter uh, would be extremely quick. Yeah. So that that's super useful for pre-reg. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, but like as far as like you know on-site reg, it's probably easier to just type the numbers. Um, clearing out your local player database isn't something that I recommend unless you you know save it and know how to import it back in, which you can do because if you as long as you save it beforehand, it's easy to put back in. And also probably would would not deal with without that again without that knowledge, especially on a computer with Word that isn't yours. Exactly. Yeah. Like I, I typically you know try to avoid doing anything too fancy on someone else's computer if I can. But my own, yeah, I'll do the I'll do the most obnoxious things I can think of. <laughs> so, so what's um you're in you're so you're entering in match results. Mm-hmm. Uh is there anything else that you enter in like during the round? Uh yeah, penalties. Uh scorekeepers tend are the, the people that actually <laughs> read and process penalties, um and also drops as well. Um penalties being the main one though. So that Leads to the question of uh, obviously judges write penalties on match slips. Um, I sure hope so. <laughs> or they or they don't. Um, Ghost penalties. How That's, that happens all the time. As as judges, what like what what are may well, judges how, be doing wrong in how they're writing penalties on match slips? Can, can we start with what they're supposed to do? Like what's a, what's a yeah. penalty supposed to look like on a match slip, and then. Yeah, so the, the the generally accepted way to write a penalty nowadays um, is what we call the Walter method. Uh, and this method makes uh, is pretty intuitive if, if you actually watch how met penalties are entered in on this on a specific screen in Walter. It, it would all makes sense. Um, but basically, you start with writing down the table number. Um, so, you know, 23. Uh, then you write the player number uh, that is receiving that penalty, which... Um, it's, if it's the first player on the match slip, it's P1. And if it's the second player, it's P2. So, uh, you know, P1. And, uh, something that has become more and more common nowadays is to also in parentheses after that still put something to signify which player it is just in case the P1 and the P2 is kind of messed up or like it was a a, a match slip that got reversed due to like a, a repair of some kind, um, or like a manual change on a match slip. Um, so like, you know, maybe like their last name in parentheses, just in case, just, just that extra small bit of information that isn't too much information. Um, after that, you're going to put, uh, the, the judge is then going to put their name, uh, whether it's first name last or last name first, it doesn't really matter what Walter has them in there as uh, last name first. So probably that way, but either way should be fine. Um, and then you're going to put the, the, the the category of the penalty, so whether it's a gameplay error or a tournament error or an unsporting conduct, um, the the actual error that happened, whether it's a game rule violation, tardiness, what have you, and then finally the penalty itself. So like whether you gave a warning, a uh, a game loss, match loss if you did that, uh, along with a brief but accurate description. Description of what actually happened to lead lead to the penalty. Yeah, exactly. Um, and typically, like that brief and accurate description is where the majority of issues actually come up. When for uh, on the scorekeeper side, um, 
So like people's handwriting, for example, tends to be a big one. Uh, it's a lot of people don't have the best of handwriting and they think they do, uh, especially as they're walking around on the floor and writing on a really small piece of paper w- with just their hand underneath it. They think they've got the best <laughs> handwriting on earth. So, so people are, are both rushing, trying to get it done, to get it put back on the table, and then writing on the back of a notebook and scribbling and yeah. struggling. <laughs> Most of the time, people like shorthand a lot of things, and like the shorthand tends to be pretty easy to figure out. Especially like, especially for me as a judge, like I know that I, I just happen to know the penalties, but there are scorekeepers that aren't aren't judges. Spoiler alert, um, and. The only ones that really know what all the penalties are are the ones that have been doing it a while. But like sometimes you get a scorekeeper that's just a store employee that has to enter in a penalty and they're like, wait, what 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 is a jerv? I don't know what a jerv is. Please explain a jerv. <laughs> yeah. What what is this jerv and why did someone get a warning for a jerv? Um, so like actually putting like game rule violation could actually be helpful for some scorekeepers, uh, but most of the time you can just put GPE dash GRV dash W and that's pretty self-explanatory. This was also almost my new license plate number coincidentally, but continue. GPE GRVW. GPE GRV. Yeah. That sounds like an awesome license plate. (laughs) It was taken. Wait, no, no, it wasn't taken. There was some issue with it. (laughs) Anyway. Uh, and, and, yeah, some, so, and sometimes there's probably penalties that are really super common that judges short shorthand like uh, LEC, and the reason is uh, dead courser. Yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I myself have gotten like I've filled out penalties, and most of the time, if it's just an LEC, you can usually just like call it a blanket saw extra saw top card of deck half the time. Um, yeah, that, I'm that, sure that there, tends to work. there are certain situations where it's it's going to be relatively clear what happened based on. Uh, oh yeah, for sure. But then there's like these super long paragraphs that we get that we have to decipher every single word that someone typed and or someone wrote down. And lo and behold, they uh, they, they use a sharpie while they were standing up and <laughs> running across the room to answer a judge call in their commander game. But they also wanted to make end of round. So um, another issue is more as a, more that I see also as a judge is I'll see a penalty that is not necessarily matching the description. Um, like, well, like the description will read like it's a hidden card error, but then the descript- the, the penalty they gave out was a GRV. And um, I'll, I'll typically pass those on to a team leader or a head judge, depending on, you know, where we are in the round um, or what event, what, what, you know, where in the event we are to have them address it. Um, and if it ends up being what it is, then I put it in as is. But for the most part, uh, a scorekeeper is just going to typically put in what exactly what's on the match slip because it's not really our place to change it, but it, it can be our place to at least address it and help someone, you know, realize an issue if there is one. There are, there are times where I, I, if, if you know what you're looking at and you know that you're reading and you read a description and it's a penalty for a missed trigger or a, a double GRV or something like that. And you're like, eh, really, I don't think this, this should be that you, you do have the, the opportunity and, and realistically the scorekeeper has, probably is in is in a unique position to know the exact profile of the penalties that are being given out at the event yeah the head judge doesn't read every penalty yeah definitely not i Uh, I sure hope not i I cannot imagine how much time and energy would be lost on that god imagine doing that for a grand prix right Mm -mm. (laughs) but even but even for even for like a, a an mcq or something like that where there's relatively few yeah, you, know, you as a scorekeeper, as the person entering the penalties in, yeah, you're going to read every single one of them. But well, I, w- I wouldn't say that. Our last MCQ had as many penalties as some GPs have had. 
Was that was that ours? Yeah, that was ours. That that yeah, that, that well, event that had was... so many penalties. It was an you know, dot, dot event. It's it's uh... funny. We actually, I think we did the Teferi, uh, the Drawing Extra Cards episode, like, right after that MCQ, too. Oh, of course, right on time. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, well, that was that was the inspiration for it, was we had so many Teferi-related penalties, it was like, you know what? How about we do an episode on this? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so being able to have that perspective and see those match slips as they come in is nice, because you can also see, you, you also get to, like, track penalties that are coming in you can kind of see what's happening and what's not happening um like i'm able to see more than anyone that hey we are not giving out enough slow play what can we do about this that makes sense especially when we're at like you know 10 to 12 minutes at the end of each round that's still turning still haven't turned over and we're trying to figure out why and i'm like oh well, it's because we haven't told people to play faster yeah it's, it's interesting how much of a sort of bird's eye view of the tournament that you get yeah but it it, it definitely uh it definitely changes your perspective of an event, but it can also, like like Brian said early on, it's uh, it's definitely it can definitely be a big be a big single point of failure. So like making sure that that person has that bird's eye view, uh, but also is trusted to have that bird's eye view is pretty pretty important, I would say. Okay, so those are uh, well, what can what can judges do to make the scorekeeper's job? Because you said it is a single point of failure. There's mm-hmm. a lot of pressure on you, specifically the last fifteen minutes. What are things that that judges can do to kind of reduce the possibility of errors and reduce the amount of time it takes to turn the next round? Um, right, legibly. That's the, that, that's my favorite one. Please improve your handwriting. Bring a label maker if you have to. Um, more realistically, uh, a lot of judges will like when they see like a giant pile of slips starting to form. They'll do this thing where it's kind of like instinctual, and it like it makes sense from a judge perspective and. Like, you can't really blame someone for it, but uh, they'll take a giant, massive pile of slips and they'll just start sorting them by number before they're even entered. Oh. Um, and while it's while it's like a great sentiment, it's be- because of how hotkeys and entry works, it's actually easier for us to just enter them as we go. Um, and to just, uh, as long as they're all facing the same direction, that tends to be a lot better. So instead of ordering them, just put them in the same direction. So, so face up or face down and also up, upside down or... Right side up. Yep. So that's, As opposed that's to the same order. So encountering like 20, 22, 25, 27 is actually a little bit worse than encountering, you know, 21, 93, 43, 157. Oh, yeah. um, well, so on like that level, uh, not so much. But like think about like a Grand Prix where your, your starting table number is like 545 and all of a sudden you have like five straight match slips that all start with five. You have like t- at least 10, ma- you have 10 match slips that all start with five, five um, having to type like five, five, one, and then five, five, two, and then five, five, three, you're going to, not only are you going to notice it as you're typing, if they're all in that order, but you're also, it's also going to not be as uh, your, your flow is going to get a little thrown off because just, just because of what it's like to type the same number. It's it's, I would argue that it's faster to type the number 56 than it is to type the number 55. Um, huh? I wouldn't know. I wouldn't have thought that. So cool. Yeah, like if you like if you think about uh, like having your fingers on a number pad, um, pressing one key twice is a lot is in my opinion slower than typing uh, another another key that's right next to it with a different finger. Because you have to put your finger mm-hmm. down, pull it back up, and put it back down rather yeah, than a, just as opposed to just pressing it down and then as you're lifting up that one, pressing the other one down. Yeah, and I it's guess an easier you're... rhythm for sure. If yeah. you're typing the same numbers over and over again, the possibility of getting lost in the number goes up oh yeah 
definitely. Like, especially if, like, let's say you got to slip five, five, five. All of a sudden, you're like, oh wait, am I on the first set of fives or the second set of fives? And you, you just have to like think about. I'm supposed to hit five. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, so just making sure they're all oriented the same way is definitely a lot better than ordering them. Um, if 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 you if you get a pile of slips and like half of them are upside down, then like some people are just like actual geniuses and they can read that upside down. But like taking that information, but then also reading it and processing it properly with a match slip. No one can do that perfectly. Like, I don't care who says they can. I don't think anyone actually can. <laughs> um, but if they're all the same direction, then it's it's relatively easy. Um, sometimes, you know, we get uh, another one that's, you know, less serious is getting boom tube when we're least expected. Um, I, I, I am firm that a scorekeeper is fair game as well. So I think you're, are, have we, have we talked about boom tubes much on the show? Uh, I sure hope so. I don't <laughs> actually know. I don't know if we're opening oh, no. up a whole a whole can of worms talking oh, what about. What did I do? Tube. What have I done? You can edit this out. No, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. If we if we haven't if we haven't talked about Boom Tube before, then we're about to correct a grievous mistake. Well, um, you're welcome then. <laughs> See, right. no, you've you've just you've done us all a service. This is an episode I will be sharing right. on a regular and, basis. And this is this is quite because Nuno, Nuno and I are going to argue. So this is a game that started in Florida about a decade ago, mm-hmm. and there is a card from the DC versus game called Boom Tube. If you're familiar with the Superman comics, it is a portal that like Apocalypse uses and the New Gods and whatever use to like teleport themselves around. But the card. All it says, it's like, you can't really tell what it is in the art. I think it's like maybe Orion or something. But it just has the word boom in onomatopoeia with an exclamation point. All all big and spelled out. Just boom. So the object of Boom Tube (laughs) is to take one of these cards. And there's a few other ancillary rules that I'll I'll gloss over just for for, so Nunum and I don't actually get into an argument. But (laughs) the object of the game Boom Tube is to either trick another judge into accepting the boom tube or to sneak it onto their person. Yeah, it's like a game of hot potato. And then once they've either accepted it or you've snuck it on their person, you're allowed to loudly proclaim boom. And it has to be with an actual boom tube, uh, uh, except no substitutes. And you just continue to pass it along, and it's a, it's like a little game of gotcha. Yeah, and I... uh making and i ha, i have actually gotten boom tubes in piles of slips before and that used to be frowned upon but i think it's actually fair game because if someone knows about the game then they should be expect they should be ready for it all at all times yes it's, but we can it's... that that's a conversation for a different episode i'm sure oh, fa- <laughs> favorite boom tube stories oh, oh my, there are so many use your discretion as far as when to when to boom tube somebody and when to not don't don't do it in a high stress moment don't do it when they really, really need to be doing something else. And there are some head judges that hate it. Oh yeah, and it's it like I, I guess it's understandable. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> um, also, I don't recommend boom tubing a certain individual that works for Star City Games. Um, oh. uh, we'll, we'll call him Schwarz Schwarin. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? What's Schwarz Schwarin got against boom tubes? Uh, nothing. He actually loves playing it, but he hates getting. I I, I believe that he, he he hates getting boom tubes so much that he'll just rip it in half. Uh, in, in reality, he, he loves. 
like I've talked to him about it. He actually just loves getting people, but like he's also made it pretty clear that if he ever gets God, he's gonna rip it in half, and that's just his his stance on it. And I get that's just like, who he is. He's public about it. Yeah, he's it is Ward. Boom tubes are getting harder and harder to find. Can't imagine why. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> All right, so we've 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 explained the boom tube, and I'm sure that that there are, there's any number of people who will be happy to talk more about this game after this. Oh, I love talking mm-hmm. about boom tube. Oh yeah, and, yeah, and there's there's so hours. many stories. Um, but that all being said, um, those are ways that you can potentially make a scorekeeper's job harder. Now, how can a judge make a scorekeeper's job easier? I've always like, there's always been this stigma, like, oh, don't don't talk to the scorekeeper at these times. Don't do like what 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 should we know? Um, so, like I said, orienting matchups is a big one, and improving your handwriting. Um, the majority of conversations you have with the scorekeeper, um, once a round has actually started and like time has started, it's they're likely not doing anything else, depending on. You know where in the event they are. Um, so for that first like thirty to thirty-five minutes of round, that tends to be a pretty good time to talk with them if you want to chat with them. Um, obviously, if you have important things during the, uh, the those other last fifteen to twenty minutes, then so be it. But if you're just if you just want to chat with the scorekeeper, try try to do it during the first thirty-five minutes of round, at least for a main event anyway. Obviously, if it's a side event um, and like their crunch time is just the last three to four minutes, then that's different. But, you know, the size of the event is uh, a big factor there. So for a main event, try to keep it to the lat, to the first 35 if you can. Um, if your event needs a starting table number that isn't one, uh, make sure that 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 scorekeeper has that number. At larger events, we're going we're gonna to have a Kickstarter team to do all that for you. But, you know, that's not always going to happen. And sometimes at like a local event where you're doing some side events, you need to be able to put an event somewhere and... Where can actually change your shard table number for you, but you just need to let your scorekeeper know, and they'll do it for you. One one th- big thing that's good for main events is to uh, have a bunch of table numbers ready that are on the end of a row. Um, and the reason for this is whenever players need fixed seats, uh, nine times out of ten, they're going to want it on the end of a row. And having those table numbers ready just for you to, you know, seats and players there is huge. Um, you don't have to worry about scrambling at the beginning of the event to get that for someone that just walked in. You can just have that ready and just be like, hey, all right, well, uh, you're going to be at this table all day. And yeah, and you know, candy. Candy's always good. (laughs) Yeah, I I think that's 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 an office thing, too. Like in in my office, the way to get people to come talk to you and be nice to you is by just having a bowl of candy. Oh, yeah. And like if you ever go onto like a a side event stage or even the blue stage, sometimes uh, the the blue main event stage at a Magic Fest, there's a good chance there's like a large pile of M&M somewhere on the stage. That everyone is just like enjoying. So I want I want to say that that score, what Brogan was touching on a little bit, where where scorekeepers used to actually be kind of scary mm-hmm. at yep. at GPS, and I think that meant that personality trait has kind of worked its way out. But in the in the good old days, uh, <laughs> the, you were using this thing. You were using DCIR. It had quirks. Mm-hmm. And there was only one or two people who knew how to deal with the quirks. And as a result, those people were very valuable and very important because, you know, we sometimes you'd actually say that, you know, at a at a GP, if the head judge gets sick, you could probably pull another judge from the pool of judges to mm-hmm. head judge that event. But if the scorekeeper got sick, you didn't necessarily have a backup because that skill set was so different and so specialized and, and so concentrated on a small group of people. 
Yeah, at that point, you just cancel the event. Right. And as a result, sometimes those scorekeepers might have taken advantage of the fact of how important they were to the event. Oh, yeah. And cultivated a do-my-way-or-the-highway kind of mentality or or aura. Yeah. Uh, And I think it's uh, it's gotten a lot better. Oh, yeah. I'm actually... I really hate that me- that old mentality. Um, as I st- when I was the first, when I was like a, a scorekeeper, you know, just yay high back in those, those <laughs> just days. Just yay high. That that stigma was still around, and I uh, I wasn't happy about it. I, I didn't like that. Like the person that probably had the biggest control of an event, and also was a pretty high customer service point for a lot of players, was someone that wasn't generally someone people wanted to talk to, and I hated that. Um, so I, a couple of years ago, uh, a few scorekeepers and I, we kind of just like set out to try and like quell that. And I, I think it's worked pretty well. I mean, we try to, you know, just be nice people at all times. And that's kind of, that, that kind of happened throughout the entire program, but like specifically with scorekeepers, it was a big thing for me. And I wanted to make sure that we were all happy and not mean and angry. Um, and obviously like there's, there's moments where you need to be stern or moments where you need to be like, no, I'm working on this. I need you to stop like, you know, trying to like throw match slips in my face, but you know, for the most part, being nice is uh, relatively right. easy. You don't need to sigh before you look up from your computer and say, what? Oof. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there, like there's... It... Oh, go ahead. No, uh, like, it's it's so much easier just to say hi than it is to say what. Right, it, it takes... <laughs> it takes... what? How many... What's the, 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 the joke? It takes X number of muscles to frown and X number of muscles to smile. Yeah, exactly. It's... <laughs> it takes more effort to be grumpy about it than it does to just... Except that people are going to talk to you. Giving someone the finger, though, is equidistant between the two. Right, but like, if you think about that, fact up. Yeah, I was like, (laughs) I feel feel like that needs to be fact checked. I need Uh, the science behind this. And also, now that makes me. Also, I would argue that a thumbs up is probably easier than uh, the finger, just because of how many, uh, you know, how many joints are in the thumb compared to the. the Effects rates that pants on fire. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, um, so. Now that we've sort of gotten through the how how a judge can help or hurt a scorekeeper's job, and you've talked about like how newer judges may mess up a couple of penalties, and what are some of the least common penalties that come up? Obviously, a, a GRV is super common. I'm tardiness super common. Oh yeah. <laughs> what doesn't what doesn't come up? Well. Uh, the biggest one for me is slow play. Um, as both as someone who's both a judge and a scorekeeper, sorry, I'm actually pulling up the IPG right now just to look at the list. Uh, but as a scorekeeper, I would say that slow play is the biggest one. And uh, as a judge and a scorekeeper, slow play is probably the only penalty I ever actually want to see. Um, like I'm obviously like I'm not like excited to give people penalties, but like you're, if I had not... to, if I if I had to be excited about one, it would be slow play. It's not that you want people to be getting penalized. It's this means that our judges are paying attention to people's pace of play. Yeah, and it also means that the tournament's moving along faster, which is a better experience for both players and staff, including the TO. And if a TO's happy, then everybody's happy, both players and judges. Um, CPV is another one that you don't really see too often. Um, uh, it, it's definitely a lot more than slow play. I, I think slow play is probably just like the least common one outside of like certain cheatings uh, or certain of uh, certain DQs um, procedure violation. Come on now. Uh, all right. You got me on that one, actually. 
<laughs> yeah, probably draft procedure violation. But slow play is like the one that I like. You know, I want to like put a put put on a pedestal because you know I want the I want the world to know to give out slow yeah. play more. You, but you, you guys actually like will point out to the head judge. Where it's like, hey, so and so gave slow play every oh, time. Really? Yeah. Especially in MCQ, every time I see a slow play warning, I like get hyped and I like go up to that person and I like shake their hand, high five them, and like give them a hug because that person is doing what I want. Um, so, but... so you're saying that slow play? I, I think part of it is is also that you are excited to see that judges are paying attention to it, but also this is a pre- penalty that probably both happens a lot and isn't getting reported. Yeah, and, yeah, and like the judge in me just wants to be like, "This is awesome that this is actually happening." And like, you know, I think every and I mean, every single judge is probably guilty of it, uh, like, you know, not giving out slow play properly. It's not like the easiest. It's not definitely not the easiest thing to do because um, yeah, you're creating a little confrontation when you get yeah, it. Yeah. It's, it's not like the kind of penalty where like the confrontation already happened due to like an error in the player. It's a confrontation that is like subtly happening and no one sees it except you, most likely you or like maybe a board opponent or someone. And like actually doing that penalty begins that confrontation, which is like much, which is significantly more different than uh, addressing one that already happened. Um, So so yeah, draft procedure violation, (laughs) probably the least common (laughs) one. (laughs) Um, As far as unsporting conducts, bribery and wagering and aggressive behavior probably don't happen too often. Theft of tournament material also, but theft of tournament material is so wonky that like it could come come up out of the blue and like all of a sudden it's happening all over the place and like it could depend on the format of the event and all of a sudden like everybody left and right's getting it whereas like bribery and wagering you know it's generally not going to happen as much because most people aren't like most people nowadays like they they actually listen well i wouldn't say most people a lot of people actually hear when head judges say hey if you have a question about how to ask something just call a judge and like DQs are so public on between like Reddit and Twitter that like people just don't want to be DQ'd anymore. So like they're actually careful, which is nice, but not everybody, obviously. <laughs> Otherwise, we wouldn't right. have an IPG. <laughs> All right, and on the in the similar vein to penalties not being common, um, I imagine ninety nine point nine percent of penalties that get entered are relatively straightforward. Do you have any just really bizarre, weird penalty stories of something you saw in a match slip or something that happened? Oh yeah. Um, so <laughs> I was uh, I was the main event scorekeeper for I think it was Dallas of like last year. Um, it was either that or Minneapolis of last year, or maybe even Jersey actually. But uh, there was a judge from a country, and we'll call that country Schmanida. Some oh. might call some might call that country America's hat, but who knows what that is. Uh, th- this judge has some of the worst handwriting that I have ever seen, and it, it was atrociously bad. I-, I had to hunt down this judge at the start of a round once everything kind of died down, because I-, I-, I knew who the judge was from past uh, penalties, but I didn't have a clue what anything said after the table number, and that was bad. Um, I found this judge, and I after deciphering the matchup, I thought it was USC minor. And I'm like, okay, that's interesting. Um, but I was not too sure, and I'm like, I don't want to accidentally give someone a USC minor, so let's go find this judge. And I found this judge on the floor, and as it turns out, it was a game rule violation. Um, their handwriting was so bad that I translated <laughs> GPEGRV to USC minor. Those uh, don't even... Those don't look, look anything! <laughs> you are correct. Um, huh. So did they write it, like, I don't know if you've seen the picture of, like, the true-false question where the person wrote writes true but they kind of write it so that it also could look like the word false at the same time 
Um, so yeah, kind of like that. Like it was like you could read it as both, and I I was in shock that USC and GPE were so similar. Did yeah. you then show this to someone else and see if they could try to figure out what it was? Because I, I feel did. like that's that's the most common thing where where if I'm at if I'm at work or something and I I see something written down, I'll be like, hey, so and so, can you can you just spot check this for me? Oh yeah, I I checked with uh, the the other scorekeeper that was working the event with me and i'm like what do you think this says and they're like that looks like a chicken attacking a barn wow <laughs> that's that's very evocative like, yeah yeah that's it was, powerful it, 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 it was it was some rough handwriting but i hunted this down this judge and i also gave them the feedback that they should probably write their match lips a little slower and a little more legibly and since then they've improved so that was nice that so, was my so next no question one's... was did they get better yeah, they have. So no one's no one's sent you a little uh like a little like hey Matt, great job note on the back of a match slip. Uh no, I don't I don't know if I've ever gotten that. Maybe I have it, I'm just forgetting. All right. Okay. Did you do me... that and you're just trying to be subtle here? Uh no. All right. <laughs> uh okay, how often how often do you find match slips on the back with uh that people used as players used as a life pad? Uh minimum once around. Um, depending on the event, obviously, like if it's a Grand Prix, it's like, you know, like, like 10 to 20 match slips or so. Like p- people love using match slips as life pads so that they don't have to, you know, horribly mark their own paper or have to f- attempt to find paper. It's free paper, man. Yeah, exactly. Who's going to pass and, a free And it's so easy to write numbers on it on the back when it's vertical. Like it's just designed to be a life pad, you know, and other, and in, in other games, that's the, there's actually penalties for doing that. And obviously really? like you can. Yeah, you. I mean, you can make it a penalty in Magic if you really wanted to. If you just announce, like, "Hey, I need you all to not do this," and just like go out of your way to announce it many times. Oh, oh, and, and go the USC minor route. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> By that definition, I, you can make anything a penalty. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but what's better than telling people not to write on match slips? There's really nothing better. Yeah. <laughs> Don't boo my puns. Has been. <laughs> <laughs> don't boo my puns that's, that's a good one my puns. i might try that one on my next event actually because i i also make puns uh non-stop at every like every single round i make at least one pun uh as most floridians do and i love it that's that's so, an yeah. aggressive pun level at uh at a so i'm gonna i'm gonna pause for a second with a, a pun at miami uh a few weeks ago they were having AC problems, so they had these two giant fans in the room. And when I say giant, I mean like three feet across kind of thing. And across the, the front, it uh, uh it said Max Air. And there was a joke, I'm trying to remember what the exact was, but I, I, I thanked, uh, when the AC repair guy came in, I thanked Maxwell Air for his support in air circulation and, uh, and then said he was a big fan. You know, I was like, I really like. Oh, it. oh man! And and the crowd just hissed. I mean, it was. Well, I mean, it is Miami. It was glorious. What can you expect from such a glorious city? I sense some sarcasm there. Well, I live in a non-Miami Floridian city, so naturally we just. <laughs> you have to be at odds. Exactly. There's rivalries. Okay, so um, circling circling back around to something that we talked about at the beginning, uh. So if we have a judge or a player uh, that is interested in learning how to be a large event scorekeeper, what sort of tips you can you offer them? Uh, practice. Um, practice is probably the biggest thing you can do. Um, can, you, can you give a tip that doesn't require effort? That doesn't require <laughs> effort? Yeah, I want this to be... Oh, um, hmm. 
don't mm. be mean because I don't think it's hard. I don't think it's hard to be nice personally. Mm. And if if it is hard for you, then maybe you should address some personal issues, Brian Preliman. Hmm. <laughs> um, <Attacked>. No. <laughs> yeah, uh, that that's a big one. Um, as far like. If you're going to run a local FNM, maybe try and use the hotkeys every now and then instead of clicking your results if you are if you end up being the scorekeeper. Um, shadowing a scorekeeper at an event is, in my, I think it's relatively easy if you're at an event that has that. It's very easy to talk to. You know, they should be very easy to talk to, and if they're not, then I'll, I'm going to be addressing something with them anyway. So you should be able to talk with them and tell them, hey, I'd like to you know, maybe come see what's going on back there. It's, you know, it seems very interesting to me, and I'd like to see why. Actually, before you end the last thing, there was one thing I wanted uh, back back during the the event uh, okay. uh, portion. Uh, so after you turn the round and after you get pairings out and and get out there, there seems to be you know players come up to you and say, "Hey, my match result is wrong from last round, or I have the wrong number of points." Mm-hmm. What happens then? Uh, so it all kind of depends on the issue. Um... Sometimes players will just have flipped their result on their match slip, and the uh, the way we fix that is we'll typically uh, just break a few tables and just swap opponents so that people uh, after we fix their result, um, so that people are playing the you know a person with a match points level that you know matches theirs and uh, for the most part outside of, like pair downs and whatnot. Um, sometimes you have players that notice this a few rounds later and then we have to confirm with some other opponents as the results and then we still end up fixing it but then depending on how far in the round we are we can't really swap opponents so people just play who they're playing um other times you have players that uh were accidentally dropped for an event and whenever that happens that tends to be the biggest issue because now we have to do uh what's called a cascade repair um which basically involves uh entering a player and pairing them against someone that has their match points level uh, taking that person's opponent and repeating the process all the way until you get to someone that you can comfortably give a buy to, um, and that's a little more involved and I, w- I would say pretty advanced. So, um, but yeah, so, it, it, it all just depends on the issue. So gen- generally speaking, when it's when it's players that the, either the result got entered in incorrectly, one player is going to be up to the correct number of points. You know, it's one player is going to have eighteen points, the other one's going to have fifteen. So you make the mod, the other one's going to have eighteen. And, you know, they're just going to swap those number of points. So you might be able to get away with just swapping their opponents. A single swap. Yeah, that's, right. that's the best. Right. But then sometimes that's... you have to swap, like, you know, between, like, four and six matches, depending on how far in the event you are. Right. And then that can get a little more involved. But at the at the same time, if that's the case, you're still dealing with an even number of players. Yeah, when exactly. player was supposed to be, wasn't supposed to be dropped, but was, now you have an odd number of players and you got to start pulling more apart yeah and you know. typically when you have an odd number of players in an event you're going to have someone with a buy um however one one practice that is something we don't typically like to do is to take that buy away from them um if you're like even like 30 seconds into a round i generally don't want to see that someone if someone has seen seen on a on a pairings board that they've gotten a buy i don't typically want to take that away from them i think that's generally bad customer service um or especially if that, that person, person goes and says oh i can get lunch now and yeah exactly that person might have already like placed their order on chipotle and or is, is like started to make that walk over and all of a sudden they're getting called up to say that hey you have an opponent now um so yeah so those are the those are kind of like the the main things that, ha- that can happen um you sh- usually don't have to do an entire full repair unless something is really going wrong 
Um, you can also do it if uh, it's if, pa- if paper hasn't even printed yet, and then you can just repair it in front of you on the computer. Then that, that's obviously easier. But if like papers already been printed and things are going out, it's generally easier just to swap a match or two as opposed to reprinting the entire round. Yeah, yeah, reprinting reprinting the the whole round. You're you're moving at a large event. You're moving hundreds, if not thousands, of people as opposed to four or six or something like that. So yeah, exactly. If if you've started playing your match, and this this is to to players and judges, you might have started playing your match, and then that match gets broken. Understand that this is we're we're trying to fix a problem, and yeah, it's unfortunate that you might have gotten a really good hand, and you might be winning that match, but that that match. But that wasn't just, a real match. It's just for funsies, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's definitely a lot better than the alternative of you having to navigate around hundreds of people for a second time in the last five minutes. Yes. So something. I'm picking up from this and something that I I think I I learned quickly when I was learning to judge at a larger event is if a scorekeeper tells you to do something or asks for your help with something, please listen to them. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, yes and no, obviously. Like if, if I ask, uh, if I'm like, Hey Brogan, can you deliver this deck box to Brian Perlman? You can probably say no. Cause there's probably going to be a boom tube in there for you or him. <laughs> fair, <laughs> fair, fair, fair. Uh, but if we're if if we have like a sense of urgency, typically it's about it's because we need to get some matches broken, and the head judge has given us that authority to you know break matches as needed to make sure the events running smoothly. So typically we you know please try and like acknowledge what we're saying and don't just like brush us off as people in behind a computer. So if you say something like, "Hey, I need you to go stop the matches at table ninety three and 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 one hundred and seven," uh, don't blow you off. Yeah, probably not. I mean, if okay. you do, you do. I'll just get up and go do it myself. But oh, you know. okay. Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. There's a contingency. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it depends <laughs> on the scorekeeper. Like some scorekeepers aren't just are just gonna like, you know, bring a full recliner and never leave the chair. And there's other scorekeepers, and then some other scorekeepers that just like are would prefer a standing desk. I would love a standing desk at events, for example. Ooh, then you get to be even higher above everyone. I know, especially like on the stage. <laughs> like, imagine a standing desk on the stage. Love it. All right. Well, is there anything else that we haven't talked about that you just want to share with the listeners about the scorekeeper experience as a whole? Um, just that if you're looking to try to do it, go for it. Um, you know, obviously there are personal reasons that some people don't want to strive for something, but like, if you think you can do it, then you probably can, you know, and if you can't, then you'll learn why you can't, and then you'll eventually become the person that can. Um, Much like judging. Yeah, exactly. You know, just like judging. Also, we like candy. I can't emphasize that enough. <laughs> you're, you're, so what you're t- saying is bribe your way into power. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, bribe your way into, like, happiness. And, and power, power that's, a, that's, that's a whole different perspective. Depends on your definition of power. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, that's true. Yeah, if you can make someone happy, that's probably the, the most power you can have. <laughs> um, well, do you have anything going on that you want to talk to the listeners about? Anything... As far as just life stuff, anything you want to tell our listeners about judging um, or otherwise, no is okay. I'm trying to think. I feel like there is. Yeah, I, I would say so. Um, so uh, there. No, actually, I was just going to say something fun, like Stardew Valley is on Nintendo Switch, and I'm playing it all the time, and it's awesome. But that's nothing, relevant. Yeah, I think that's relevant, but nothing really important. All right. Well, thank you for being on the show. I think that. This is the side. This is something that's very relevant to judges that I 
don't know if a lot of judges have put a lot of thought into. Um, so having that perspective is hopefully going to help some people out. Yeah, I hope so, too. I appreciate you all uh, thinking about me and having me on the show. Of course. All right. Well, uh, thank you for being here. Thank you, Brian, for being here. And thanks to all of you for listening to this episode. If you want to talk to us or learn more about the show or otherwise engage with our content, um, you can find us uh, on Facebook at facebook.com slash judgecast. We are at judgecast on Twitter. Uh, You can find our archives and other stuff about us at judgecast.com. You can email us at judgecast at gmail.com. All of that being said, again, thank you all for listening. I'm Brogan King, and I keep it fun. Oh, that thing. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Fun for sure, by the way. Legit. We can keep it fun together. Yeah, 100% fun. Brian, where are you keeping it? And I'm I'm Brian Frillin, and I keep my match slips for end of round in my pocket, so no one where they're nice and safe. Nice and snug. (laughs) (laughs) Just tucking them right into bed. Monster. You know, I mean, they're not going anywhere, and they're not going to get, like, all sweaty from holding them in my hand where people can see that I have them. Yeah.